Hello, and welcome to our FPC Conversations podcast, where we explore how God is working in the everyday lives of people in the FPC community. I'm Josh Gillespie, the Minister of City Engagement and Modern Worship at First Press. Thanks for taking the time to join us and hear stories of people connected to the FPC community. We hope you find encouragement through these conversations. Anita Ulner has been teaching sixth grade students at Manchester Gate School in Fresno for almost her entire career. Yet what many people do not know is how Anita became a teacher, her switch in career path, and her journey of being led into the job she loves so deeply. In today's conversation, you are going to hear a journey of faith, risk, joy, obedience, loss, and God's faithfulness in the life of someone who has made faith a priority in all aspects of her life. Please enjoy getting to know Anita. Well, welcome to our FPC Conversations podcast. I'm Dan Kimball, and once again, it's an honor and and pleasure, privilege to uh, bring to you every so often people from the FPC community, people of faith, people that have journeys, people that have really interesting stories, and and uh, we have the the opportunity to to learn about people through this podcast. And today. Uh, we have somebody that that I've gotten to know a little bit over the years, and and we'll tell you a little bit more about that. But we have Anita Ulner with us, and Anita's been part of the FPC community for a number of years. So, Anita, welcome. Thanks a lot, Dan. So, um, Anita, I think, has a lot of interesting parts of her journey, and um, some people might, of course, know you. You've been a longtime school teacher. You can tell us a little bit about that, but... I think um, to just kind of get started, tell us a little bit about your journey, like just kind of how you got to Fresno and and uh, how you got here. Who are you? Right, right. So um, I was born up in the Bay Area and uh, lived there for the first part of my life. Um, My father was in law enforcement and he uh, was promoted to a position in Fresno, so we moved to Fresno. Um, growing up, fr- when we lived in, uh, in Pacifica um, and here in Fresno, church was always a super important part of our mm. l- my mother's life, and so we were raised um, going to church. I probably went to church the first Sunday of my life. Um, and as a young child came to know Christ, that's all when we lived in the Bay Area. We moved here to Fresno. Uh, immediately, we found uh, another church to attend that was really strong biblically, um, had sort of the tradition of, traditions of Assembly of God that I had grown mm-hmm. up in the Bay Area. So that's what your tradition was, yeah. was AOG. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they were always independent or non-denominational, but the ministers always had a firm foundation in the Assembly of God. And so um, I have seen all – I both – Churches were very, very um, healthy, but it was just different ways of worshiping. Different ways, yeah. Anyhow, moving back here, coming to Fresno, um, we established ourselves at a church that I attended until I went to college um, and came to know Christ as a seven-year-old and then through high school in particular, my faith matured. Um, I was involved in church by working in children's ministry Mm. um, because I was kind of an awkward. (laughs) When it wasn't (laughs) cool to be awkward, um, I tended to avoid as many youth 
activities as okay. possible. That's okay. why I love seeing our youth here at one point in my life. I had a young girl living with me and she got to get involved mm. in it at first press. And I love how accepting and how just easy it is to anyhow, um, jump in. Um, so here in Fresno, um, again, involved in church, uh, went to high school here, went to middle school, actually went to middle school in the Bay Area, um, and then went on to Fresno City and then moved to L.A. to go to college. Okay. So did you go to college to become a teacher? I think I did. Okay. So when I first, I couldn't decide what to major in. And so I remember having a conversation with sort of a placement counselor and saying, I think I want to be a teacher. Mm. Um, but when I was in LA, I decided other things were more interesting. So I kind of put that behind me. Um, I had a conversation, I mean, I had a job, excuse me, between that conversation, I think it was in springtime before I attended UCLA. And when I actually attended, I had a job that kind of made me swear off children mm. because it was in a facility that was not necessarily, it wasn't a school. And so I, even though I said I was going to be a teacher, I really didn't have plans to mm. be. Um, what and, was the job that, that uh, turned you off to kids for a while? Can you tell us that? It was working in a daycare center. Oh. <laughs> and right, you have no... Ironically, I did something later where we had no experience. We had no, ex we were not taught how to discipline kids. Mm. And um, yeah, I just thought, mm -mm, yeah, no, mm -mm, mm -mm. Not, for me. I, not that I really need control, but I need some, need some sort of form of um, structure. Yeah. And yes. that was just very unnerving to me. Yeah. I saw the beauty of relationships between adults. I was, what, 18 and children. Um, but yeah, no, uh -uh, that not was for not for me. And so I stayed far away from any ideas of teaching for quite a while. And then while in college, um, got to work um, at a couple of very glamorous retail places in Beverly Hills and thought, mm. ooh, and I'd always liked fashion. And so that's kind of how I wound up uh, after college graduation doing some of that. Um, it was the retail side okay. of fashion, okay. but it was pretty nice stuff. Anyhow, sounds so shallow. No, but you know, it's, I learned wonderful it's interesting. skills, yeah. right? And it's all it's all God's plan. Yeah, everybody's got, <laughs> this, uh, got an interesting you know, journey and the, right. the, the experiences we have that build us. Absolutely. So, absolutely. And how long did, were you in the kind of the retail space doing that? So after college? So UCLA. after college, I graduated from UCLA and moved to New York mm. to um, where I had spent a lot of summers. Okay. Uh, because we had relatives back there. I had decided as an 11 year old, I was going to live in New York City one day. So my main goal was to live in New York and I would find a job. And because the job market and I had some skills, I knew I'd be able to find a job. I don't know that, in fact, I know probably you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, if I had a child, I would not want them necessarily <laughs> to do that. But we had the safety net of some relatives to live with. So um, I was in, I joined a, it's called an executive training program. Mm -hmm. So where we learned, we were trained to, um, run a department, be an assistant manager. I did that for in a variety of places. Uh, started in New York um, through my first position in New York, moved to South Florida for a while. Mm. 
um, and then um, came back to New York. I did it for, I think it was eight years. My final job was um, at Saks Fifth Avenue on Fifth Avenue. Wow. Managed the ladies' accessories department, okay. Okay. which even though I knew um, quite early in this whole retail journey, I was not cut out. For this, I still understood that uh, where I was working was kind of cool. Uh, got to work with people from all levels of Manhattan. So the people that worked with me, um, wherever we had immigrants, and I had trust fund Ivy Leaguers who would work for me. Okay. Um, and our customer base. So you learned a lot about different kinds of people. Um, I think that's where I don't think I know that's where I first learned about um, understanding. Being an immigrant in New York, and how because some of the ladies that worked with me, um, just how um, that was a very just exposed me to a whole different life. Did you find the uh, culturally going to New York? I mean, different than California, than Fresno. Like what? What was that like? So right, that's the big the pace, mm. which I now love yeah. for vacation, and I got used to it. Uh, but the pace was far, far faster. And that was olden days, New York, which was pretty, uh, is the word brusque, mm -hmm. just people mm -hmm. were curt and get to it. So it took me a while to adjust to it. Did you have a car? Did you drive a car? Okay, so. That's always fascinating to me because you lived in New York, right? In Not yet. Okay. So I lived okay. in Long Island. I commuted. I commuted four hours a day. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Me and all the other people who worked in yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Um, so I would take the train in and work till six or so and then take the train home. So my whole my whole work week was worker going to and from work. So I would see my church friends on Sunday. And if I was lucky and I was still awake, I would go Saturday night and join them. Um. Anyhow, so in doing the commute, I did drive on Long Island, which is like driving in L.A., um, mm -hmm. It was pretty wild, you know, did snow stuff. Yeah. Um, and later on when I moved into New York, I did drive in the city, but yeah. it's... I've heard stories about people that moved to New York and they, they don't drive for like four years or whatever. And, and Right, right. And once you once I lived in the city, I don't didn't need to drive at yeah. all. You just yeah. learn how to go from place to yeah. place. So you were still going to church. So church was still an so, active part of your timeline. Yes, thank okay. you. Yeah, so um, when I was living on Long Island working in retail... I was, again, a part of a church that I had visited since childhood because that's where all my cousins went. Okay. And it continued to be an Assembly of God kind of affiliation mm -hmm. um, and was act as active as I could be as a commuter, but I had longtime acquaintances there, acquaintances there mm -hmm. um, and friends that had known my grandparents or older adults that had known my grandparents. So there's a lot of connection, which was yeah. a very... Um, cozy part of church. I mean, I really, sure. having that connection is so important. Um, and as far as, we sometimes did some outreaches in New York City, which was kind of wild um, in a godly way. Yeah, I remember doing one outreach. So Long Island, where I lived, is very much like Fresno, except that a lot of people commute into New York. Um, and so one of the outreaches that we did um, was to 42nd Street. So prior to 42nd Street has changed a lot. I'll just say that, mm -hmm. like a lot. Um, and it used to be uh, quite, I think the term would have been in the olden days, quite a, uh, a den of iniquity. So there was a lot of street business. There was a lot of um, hustling drug addicts. Um, 
yeah, prostitution, was, all of yeah, that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it yeah. you could. It was one of those places that when you walked into it, you felt the darkness. But yeah. you know, we were a bunch of young adults who were going to go do street ministry, mm-hmm. um, and so we just kind of talked to people along the street. And I remember thinking, "Wow, this is this is so sad." But I just am praying, Jesus, that for this two minutes that we're talking to this mm. young man, this young woman. Um, that they somehow see your light. Mm. Um, and so to see what 42nd Street and that part of New York has become. Um, is that now what, is, and is that now what's part of Times Square? Times Square yeah. M&M store. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, characters and all right. of the, yeah, 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 it's very different. Yeah, right. very touristy. Every time I visit, um, and the yeah. friend that I often visit with is, she's actually a non-Christ follower, mm. but I'm just like holding my mask saying, <laughs> If you knew what this place was was Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Um, um, And maybe I'm going to go off on a tangent, but just jump forward a little bit. When I finally did move to New York, one Sunday I decided to visit a church that had planted itself in Times Square Mm. that was started by um, an evangelist I was very familiar with. His name is Dave Wilkerson, and he used to do – he used to have ministry in rough parts of New York with gang Yeah, members. I think I remember. Run, baby, run. Yes, I, re- I remember a book or a movie or something in, back in high school that that name, right. yeah, or something. It, yeah, anyhow, um, going way back. Yeah. But he had planted a church, and I thought, well, that'd be interesting just to visit, even though mm-hmm. I had my own church. Yeah. I went and visited his church, and it was, um, first of all, super, super multicultural, very Pentecostal. Well, it was one of those places when you, I hope it's okay, I say, when you mm-hmm. walk in the room, you're like, okay, Jesus is here. <laughs> I don't know anybody. Anyhow, so um, very fiery, fiery message. But at the end, how Dave Wilkerson and the congregation and joining with him, praying for the um, salvation and rehabilitation of Times Square. Mm. Um, and this was when it was at its height of yeah. be at your height, your depth of darkness. Sure. And so remember, and I remember thinking, all right, you know, Jesus, you're a big God, but at this point, I yeah, I thought, okay. probably seemed overwhelming already. It New was York overwhelming. Being this giant city and this all these giant problems and right, right. And I thought, yeah. well, you're God, and this is a really interesting prayer. Yeah. What's interesting, Anita, for me is the one takeaway from from that part of your your journey is. The fact that you sought church, a church community, and it does remind me that that sometimes you know people they go to a new town, a new city. Maybe they experience loneliness, whether it's college students or even you move for a job. But church really does provide a sense of community and a way to connect with people. And I love that you you dove into that. And I that is one of like three things. That I, my mother taught me, and I don't even know that she said it. It was just in lifestyle. So God's always, always faithful, mm-hmm. even when everything looks like it's out of control. And just the the fellowship at church. And it wasn't even necessarily um, going out to coffee afterwards. It's just being in that sanctuary with people who loved Jesus mm-hmm. and who had a common focus. And so that's why... Um, for most of my life, I would find a church. The college years were kind of funky, but rest of my life, I found a church, and God has always been so gracious. It's been some def- different traditions, mm-hmm. um, which is okay, um, and it kind of worked out well because I really love First Press. Um, <laughs> but that 
oh, it's people. We can all sing about Jesus yeah. together. It's and that's a really important lesson um, that she taught me because when I. Not to jump around, but when I moved to Florida, I was in my 20s, I knew nobody. Mm. But I remember, I'm going to go find a church. And, and you I did. found a yeah. church, and I okay. thought, all right, all right, okay, I got a place to go on Sunday, and of course made friends. Anyhow, That's but yeah, yeah. That, that tradition yeah. of, um, some might see it as being legalistic, you always have to be in church on Sunday. No, no, there mm. is a deep comfort yeah. in sitting there and singing and hearing a message that you know God gave to the minister. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a good chunk of your of your I'm just gonna say twenties and thirties are now on the East Coast doing this doing this retail kind of experience a whole different yeah side. and then from uh, I so I finally was able to move into New York because I changed jobs okay and that's kind of I'm look back on it now and some of the experiences I had there are what led me to teaching mm. um, so I left retail because you know. I didn't love it, <laughs> so why not? Yeah. Um, and I went to work for as an administration in New York City mm. um, because of a contact. I got a job there through that. Had an apartment in New York City, so uh, that was in my early thirties. Okay. Um, and so working for IBM, then I could do volunteer work, which is what I had wanted to do. Mm. Um, I didn't know what that meant. I know it. I knew it didn't mean street ministry, mm -hmm. but I knew it meant something else. Um, and so that op opened up some opportunities for um, doing some, yeah, volunteer work. Um, and one of, again, as I look back, I didn't know then, one of the pivotal experiences I had was um, we were a bunch of untrained professionals mm. who went and did teaching reading, teaching phonics to a small group of um children that somebody had made a connection with there was housing projects near um doesn't matter my church was on 57th street which is a main part of new york so they were they were pretty close to the church and so we did um every saturday we collected them brought them back to the church did these little reading worksheet things um and again none of us knew how to discipline mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. But that's okay. So yeah. it's funny stories, but yeah. um, like a five-year-old locking me out of a room and making me cry. Uh, uh, and we were all, you know, but these were really nice kids. And I learned, and their mothers wanted them to, their mothers saw, because most of them were being raised by mothers or grandmothers, saw education as a way to open up experiences, yeah. you know, open up the world for them. Sometimes when we, when as volunteers, you know, I know, uh, if you, I mean, we have people in our in our congregation that volunteer at Martin Park and right. other you know neighborhood things, and we often think, oh, we're going to come in and we're going to you know we're going to change these kids, and and maybe even teaching might be like that, but um, but often it's it's not that it's the it's really just showing up and the, the kids often change you <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know, so exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I had a really good um, one of our directors who uh, was a. Uh, financial manager and she knew how to run a big department you know she talked about how it would be it was very important that we not think we were to come in and be white saviors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and while I didn't think I was I mean this this is many years ago that still sticks with me mm. um, because yeah we're just there showing up yeah. Jesus works through us yeah. great if they learn something great so you're working in this you know IBM kind of corporate right. world New York, uh, you're doing some volunteer work, you're doing some church, and what led what led you into teaching? How did how did you get there? 
So, and I was attending a different church, a very vital church, very happening church. Mm. Um, and so everything seemed f really fabulous, actually. Um, and then I started getting a restlessness. Mm. And suddenly this, I just started getting a restlessness. And um, because I still had family here in Fresno, um, long story short, short. I came out to visit family. I'm not sure why. Mom and dad. Mom and dad are. Oh, so, I'm sorry. So that's my okay. parents were not together. My okay. parents have been long divorced. Okay. Um, okay. So I came to visit my brother and my um, my mom. My mom. Uh, I say that with kind of questioning because I think my mother was getting ready to move back to Fresno. She sure. was actually in New York for a while. Oh, okay. 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 Anyhow, we were out here, and. Um, for some reason, I was at Fresno State. I had no interest in going to school. We were just there. And I said, what if I what if I move back to Fresno? Okay. Because there was that restlessness. I wanted yeah. to do something different. And so nobody, my generation does not do that. You don't just leave an excellent job in an mm -hmm. excellent community yeah. and pick up. And I don't care how safe the place is, because I had obviously family and things. And IBM here. was kind of considered a it's a fabulous kind of, big, kind of you know company. very stable company. People worked there for hundred years or whatever. And At least, and there was there were <laughs> there was lots of opportunity for me to move into different jobs. So sure. it wasn't like it was dead end. Um, and within six months, I was back here. Mm. And um, took a while to decide what I wanted to do. I had that luxury of um, being able to, I dabbled in some things. I, I at one point actually thought about working in politics because it would make the world a better place. Yeah. I think the kids call that a gap year now, don't yeah. they? <laughs> like yeah. some time off. Right, <laughs> except I was not a kid. But I, I know, I know. <laughs> but I had that luxury. I had yeah. that luxury. So um, we were having I was having coffee one day with a friend who, or a colleague who was a church colleague, I should say, um, who was an elementary school teacher. And she said, why don't you just come visit my classroom? And I said... Okay, because some other things had happened to soften my heart mm -hmm. towards teaching. Um, and so I went and visited her, and it was a God moment. I walked onto campus, Robinson Elementary School, mm. I put my right foot in, and if you knew how bad my memory was for me to remember all this, um, I put my right foot into her room, which was room 14 at Robinson. I looked around and I went, yep. This is it. Wow. It wow. was wild. And yeah. uh, it was wild, but I was like, okay, all right. And then from there, went back to, I worked for the district because I wanted to be sure this was not an emotional moment. Yeah. Though it seemed, so I worked for the district as a um, an aide mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and worked in different kindergartens. Mm -hmm. I was in special ed classes. I was in nurse's aid and it just worked wanted to see what the district was like there was never any question of which district i'd work in um and decided to get my it worked got my credential and i was in teaching within a year and a half i mm. think um and had really good teaching student teacher experiences and one of them was at the school that i now teach at which is manchester gate okay. Okay. and i remember again stepping onto that campus and going as though i were 14 mm. i want to work here someday before anybody had uttered a word mm. 
um, after I'd been working there for probably a year, my father, who was still in my life, he is here, Fresno. I was visiting him with one, with him one day once I started working at Manchester, and he reminded me as a 14-year-old that I had wanted to teach gifted kids. Mm. Okay. Mm. So it feels like that was like a confirmation. Yeah. Um, what you mentioned, uh, a couple things changed your heart a little bit, softened you to teaching. Can you remember or share one of those? Well, one it was Jesus. <laughs> okay, um, that's fair. One day, so when I back when I worked at IBM, hmm. um, I worked on an administrative team where our uh, engineers and uh, marketing reps sold to uh, universities and colleges. One day, one of my colleagues who was an engineer at Columbia University, mm-hmm. I didn't ask him to. One day he came back from a customer call, put a teacher's college um, catalog on my on my desk, mm. sort of just telling. And I looked back at that and I thought, well, he must have seen something in me. Mm. Um, and then when I was doing the volunteer work, um, teaching phonics to kids, there were a number of experiences where I realized teaching is more than just looking at a piece of paper and getting a worksheet done. It's about relationship and some of the connections that I made then. Mm. So those were some of the things that were softening my heart. And then just some other people I was around that weren't in education that spoke very highly of what education can do for That's kids. That's wonderful. So you've been doing it for a few, a few years. <laughs> we, won't, uh, we won't totally call you out, but a few years. A long time. A, a long, long time. time. Um, what would you say some of the highlights and challenges have been for you in the area of teaching? So highlights definitely are um, the seeing over the years when students make connections in learning or with one another. I feel, especially when they are not so much hearing me, because I've never been a sage on the stage, is that it? Mm -hmm. Kind of teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I've taught something and then the students are working together and you see them together coming to consensus, learning together, that to me is a highlight. It's kind of feels like, so Jesus is just in the room mixing it Mm. Uh, because there's both relationship and there's learning going on, because learning. Um, and then the connections that I have in the community over, because it's been a long time, mm-hmm. so I'll see adults. I may see adults at first press now mm-hmm. uh, who were once my students, and just kind of, it's just interesting to see how they grow up. Um, and then I'm sure there are others, but those are what come yeah. The challenges definitely um, are when there is a student who has a hard life. Um, there are I've seen in the last seven or eight years just a heaviness that children are carrying mm. that mm. Um, supports the things that we're reading in the paper about children's mental health. Can I put my finger on it? Absolutely. I don't know what's causing it. Mm. Um, but it, that is super, super heavy. And my prayer has become that at least when they're in the, when they're in room 14 in the room, in the community with all the other 14ers, that they would find some peace. And I get very frustrated when they don't do their work. Mm-hmm. But you know, if they're finding community and their hearts being filled because they're chatting with their neighbors, I gotta mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. Just gotta mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's probably the biggest challenge. And it's yeah. been, recently. So with that, you probably had to change your approach a little bit as a teacher. And so how does that, what does that look like? You have to change your approach, but yet you want to 
keep the core of the integrity of who you are as a teacher. Right, right. Um, so one of the ways it's changed is that I, I'm pretty adaptable in life. I've learned how to be even more adaptable, learning how to let some things go, which um, because I think that I am responsible I'm just gonna say it. I'm responsible for getting them all to the college of their choice. Mm. I t sometimes I may take classwork a little seriously, <laughs> so learning just to kind of mellow out about that. Um, and then I find that in the last couple of years since COVID, just teaching kids, I can't do it in a structured way. Teaching um, students how to just kind of chit chat with each other and mm. how we can collaborate together, which had always seemed like a natural process. But now it kind of it needs to be taught, um, which just makes me more mindful of it. Yeah. My, and I've had to slow down a lot. Yeah. I've always been impressed with your understanding and use of technology. That's something mm. that that since I've gotten to know you, I was like, oh, you really, you have a real, you, you really, yeah, I mean, we, you said it. <laughs> I did. Um, and so tell me about that and just how technology has changed and what it's doing in the classroom. Right. So, yeah, as a digital immigrant, um, I have found technology can absolutely open a door for students. It, it allows for some independence. It allows for some individuality, independent learning. And I really like that. Um, in sixth grade, I'm still teaching them how this is a tool for good and not just, you mm -hmm. know, a tool for um, getting out of work because you're going to pretend to play games. Mm -hmm. um, so I like the independence and that it gives students, because again, as a sixth grade teacher, you want to teach them. I'd like them to leave my class knowing how to learn and liking learning. Mm. Um, I also like that it gives variety because some of my instruction, I actually have them watch a video first mm. and then we meet afterwards. Mm. Um, I like the, the way it can help with collaboration. Um, it also is super empowering. Um, particularly for students who are struggling in maybe math or in grammar, there are tools to help you. And that's not cheating. Mm -hmm. um, and helping them to understand, my hope, is the ethical use of it all. Mm -hmm. It's not cheating if you're using Grammarly. Mm -hmm. It's not. I mean, yeah. I know that sounds like a little yeah. thing, but um, just, yeah. That's that's great. Your faith is, is, is important to you. That's been very obvious um, in our conversation today and as, yeah. you know, yeah. talking with you and – what are ways in which you've been able to share your faith with students, um, parents, teachers, coworkers? How how does that how's that worked for you? So I'm definitely much more a lifestyle kind of. I love Jesus, so I'm very open with colleagues and with friends, of course, sure. uh, particularly non-Christian friends about when faith has made a difference, um, and then. With students, my and parents, my prayer and hope is that um, what they're seeing is a consistency. Um, not that I'm always perfect, mm -hmm. uh, but that uh, I care about their child. At, or I, yeah, I care about their 14er as an in individual. That um, hopefully they see grace and mercy and. Um, yeah, and just being able to listen if they have things that they like to talk about. Mm -hmm. I know I've had a couple of instances where parents have been a bit, a lot overwhelmed, um, and I just opened up a conversation, and 
we I don't know that we solved anything, but mm-hmm. I, I, my prayer was that that parent, because I still think about that parent, mm-hmm. that she walked away understanding it. It's okay, and we'll mm-hmm. see what we can do to get help. Yeah. And full transparency, you had my son, Logan, uh, <laughs> in sixth grade. Yes, the Two years ago. Heard. And <laughs> it was a group. And and that was a hard year for him. We yes. our our family was going through a lot that year. Um, yeah. Some that that know Suzanne and I know that Suzanne um, was diagnosed with breast cancer yes. that year, and it was a hard year for him. It was yes. a hard year for our family, yeah. and and I felt like your faith was very very evident, and not in a preachy way, but just in the yeah. way in which you you loved um, Logan and us yeah. and our family, and there was a sense of compassion and yet you also didn't let him get away with with that as well you know we all gotta kind of kind of you know toughen up a little bit so i appreciate that about you thank you yeah that's a part of sixth grade is learning how how to balance the hard stuff in life Mm -hmm. because and then as a teacher just to be aware of that Mm. and i yeah and I know I still even now when it sometimes there were a couple of real dark years the last mm-hmm. few years, mm-hmm. um, and I just would often pray. I don't know how there is any light in this room, Jesus, but mm-hmm. you can bring some sort of light, some sort of relief. Um, anyhow, but yeah, yeah, that's neat. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. So COVID, I mean, we've probably beaten COVID with uh, with a stick a little too hard, but it. it I think if all the industries. I think teaching probably, to me, had it the the hardest or yeah. or struggled the most. I mean, I think we're still seeing that as they're coming out of it. So, you don't have to go into a lot of detail, but I mean, tell us a little bit about just your experience teaching and then going online and all of that right. for COVID. Right, and you're right. I mean, there has been lots of conversation about the difficulties of teaching during COVID. The one thing I'd have to echo that I've heard others talk about, though, is that sense of um, disconnection. Hmm. That sense of disconnection was very, very hard. Um, because, I mean, if they were, it was, the disconnection for me personally was really hard. Um, and um, the but education's going to save their lives mm-hmm. why aren't they mm-hmm. why aren't they online that's some of the stuff we had to let go yeah um yeah. i also and i and i when i look at some of my students we learned some tools though that we still use mm-hmm. and we got some we got we um learned some skills that we still learn that will serve us well mm. um so the the one memory that stands out in my mind though was I had one student she never did a lick of work mm. she um, would participate in class but never did a lick of work but she was online every single solitary day mm. because we myself and the, like the ten other students that showed up were just a link to the outside world mm. and you could just and she would hang on until the very until i finally Mm. turned off my screen because there was that connection with me and with others which was um i thought well you know jesus you used us somehow yeah during that time yeah um it does seem like that the one i mean there's a lot of lessons but it does feel like that that we are meant as humans to stay connected people that you know and i know there's people that say well i'm an introvert covid was great but you know, but I I do think that we 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 as humans need to be connected 
in well, some way. Yeah, and I am to echo somebody talking about their child. Personally, I was living my best life because I mm -hmm. am an introvert. Mm -hmm. I discovered Maverick City Music. I mean, it, <laughs> but I realized my my people connection definitely came from the coming from the classroom, mm -hmm. even when the classroom was not, you know, a daisy field, just that daily, daily connection with the students was uh, have not having that. Oh, that was very hard. Yeah, very hard. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about your um, time outside the classroom. What are some things? Um, how have you have you strengthened your faith um, in service and in the community? And right. So time outside the classroom. So I make sure to always Sabbath on Sunday. I just that is like the most important thing. I mm -hmm. chose to do that probably seven or eight years into teaching. Um, so outside of work, which I do a lot, um, I know connecting with friends. One of the things that I've loved about First Press is every Tuesday morning, yeah, every Tuesday morning, get together with my uh, COVID era uh, prayer um, prayer group, and we always oh. pray together, which is a really lovely connection. Hmm. Um, that's not the only thing I do, so but I just people you were praying yes, with during COVID. Yes, we started COVID. praying oh, with that's really cool. during COVID. That's really cool. And continue to we all continue to pray together. Uh, a couple of us, are, three of us, are educators. Others mm. do other things. One person's retired, uh, but it's just um, that is a really lovely connection to first press during the week, which I really like. Um, I'm a huge reader. Love to um, love to go out to coffee. I don't know if that's really a thing, but yeah. it is my thing. You connect with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I tend to do that um, on my Sabbath day and on weekends. Um, as far as uh, involvement at First Press, so off and on I've been involved. I was a mm -hmm. deacon for mm -hmm. a while, and um, when I was a deacon, I was put in charge of special events, and like that, God just really showed up there. Um, I don't know how to throw a special event, but that's okay. I thought, <laughs> all righty. Um, and the minute I had my first special event flanked on both sides were um, too late. Joanna and Billie Jean, who were going to help me do it. I don't even think I had to ask. Mm -hmm. So that kind of showed me, well, if God calls you into this, he'll provide it. Mm -hmm. So he really, really provided. Um, and as part of choir, where I learned really good teaching skills from mm -hmm. Julie. Mm -hmm. Just, she's a very... We all know this, but mm -hmm. I just thought I'd just say That's it. That's nice. She's a yeah. wonderful teacher. Um, yeah. She's explicit. She's patient. She models. Yeah. And I really, as a teacher, and because I like to sing, yes. I liked being a part of choir. How do you recharge? What What are ways in which you recharge? Because, I mean, I think my experience with people in the classroom is it's so emotionally long, and then you've got this break, but now the break seems shorter <laughs> than ever before. <laughs> All we do is get breaks. What are you talking about? We have the whole summer, <laughs> yeah, right. anyhow. Um, so that Sabbathing thing, mm. that Sabbathing on Sunday is, it just kind of takes me away. Just really takes me away. What um, does that look like? What's a Sabbath for you? Well, of course, church. Yeah. Um, and then ideally, I'll have lunch or coffee with somebody. Connect with either, yeah. Mm -hmm. connect with a friend, um, and usually do some meal prep for the coming up week. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of at my own pace, maybe watching an old movie. Um, I love that. And it, and it's very, because again, the classroom does take a lot out of me. Um, 
it's nice sometimes just to be quiet, which mm. I'm able to do on uh, on Sundays. And I mm. often will usually will do it on Sunday. That's just how my week cycle works. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, and I know I've done it off and on, but probably two or three years prior to pr- pandemic, my quiet time. Mm. Boy, howdy, if I don't have that in the morning before mm. I go. And that's not legalistic. I'm yeah. just talking about yeah. just for me. And that takes a variety of forms. Um, but just that kind of sitting and getting the day ready, yeah. whether it's going to be good, bad, um, and always starting with the joy of the Lord is my strength mm. because I don't have to depend on me, which is a whole lifelong lesson I've been learning for many, many decades. Mm. It's not all up to me. Yeah. Um, and so, but starting the day that way um, is very, I, I know it's helpful. Mm. That's an important recharge. Do you have any <clears throat> sayings or phrases that students know you for? Like if if, uh, if we brought in some of your former students, are there things that things like, oh, Mrs. Olner always used to? Oh, they're so bo- Well, gremlins. So gremlins are when I am in the right place and there's been a lot of talking or something has gone wrong. We blame it on the gremlins. <laughs> um, and then I had... I think they had graduated from high school. So I'm big about pushing in your chair, not putting your head down, and we're all tired. Not putting your head down. Um, and so it's nothing very clever, but definitely the pushing in chairs mm-hmm. is something that they remember. I've had people tell me, even as adults, they'd go back, remember to push in the chair. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> it's something. I don't know. <laughs> That's, fun. That's fun. What are some God moments you've experienced in your in your life? Um. Well, pro- of course, the first thing for me is going to be um, I had a pretty devastating loss in the early 2000s and um, um, how God, it's, it's one of those, you just got to believe me. In that moment of what am I going to do, there was a not even a split second of despair because I, I knew mm. there should be despair. God just came in and came alongside, supported me. Um, and without going into the details, it's very hard to explain, but I can just say that was a God moment because I was by myself mm. and it was devastating. Um, there was nobody that could come alongside me right for that moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and God just showed up yeah. right and, there. And in your situation, you know, being single. Right, right. Um, navigating life is different it is. i imagine i it mean i no. you know i've been grateful that i have right. somebody that kind of worked that through but for you i'm i imagine it's a little different of a challenge right and i had um just very briefly i had watched growing up so my parents were married but they would often have separate they would often be separated my father wasn't a christ follower in business he was a man of great integrity at home home was rough um so i had watched my mother navigate situations that back in my day single women should first of all christian single women shouldn't have to navigate this Mm. there should be a husband to take care but Mm. i watched her navigate it trusting god Mm. anyhow so i had this one devastating kind of loss in the early 2000s um and then in 2014, 13, I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And God's uh, alongsideness for every part of that journey. Um, I had friends, and I had a tiny but wonderful family, who would come to any appointment I wanted, but I needed to go alone. I'm not sure what that was about, but, uh, well, yes, I was. 
I remember a friend saying she wanted to come with me to one of my um, big appointments, and she was praying about it, and it was just like, no, Colleen, let an, uh, it's Anita and I. It's mm. Anita and I going through this appointment together. Um, and so that also, every one of those experiences from figuring out, uh-oh, I think they're going to tell me I have cancer, to um, my diagnosis kept getting more interesting mm. and how God would prepare me before every visit. And when the doctor would give me the news, oh, I'm sorry, we found more, um, I would be like, huh. And I remember once telling my surgeon, I, I know it's going to sound really weird, but it's like, I was prepared for to hear mm. you say that. Mm. That's only God. Mm. That's only God. Yeah. Um, and again, I just, um, this was my experience. I've had other friends who have had cancer who have not had this experience. So I'm not saying this should be an experience sure, for er sure. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes I have been hesitant to even talk about it because, I, yeah, I don't know why, but... God, those, so it was probably 10 or 20 or a year of God moments all mm -hmm. along and how that year, um, the class I had, they had had um, their own tragedy in a group of friends. Um, and then they come in and hear their teacher has cancer. Mm. It you was, were pretty transparent with them about that? I had to be because I'd be wearing a wig. Okay. Okay. So I thought, yeah. well, let me just tell you kids, yeah. there's going to be a hairdo chain. <laughs> um, and then sometimes my symptoms might have slowed me down. Like one day we had slipper day because mm. I couldn't wear shoes. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to work through a lot of it, mm. which that's God's grace. Yeah. Because it was a very light, sounds weird, it's a very life-giving year. All those kids are about to graduate from college. Even whenever I see their parents, there's always a hug. You know, it's just, a, it was a, so God really used my classroom to show me, to show me love, mm. um, which, yeah. And that whole thing was a God moment. Mm. Um, and then since then, there have been other God moments. But I feel like Thank that's like a big that. one. That's, 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 a, that's a big one. Thank you. Yeah. And your diagnosis now? Oh, I'm so, so 10 years. Okay. Praise Good. Jesus. Yeah. Yay. Praise Jesus. Yeah. Never take it. For, I can't take it for granted. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't. And I've had a couple of experiences at work where family members of staff members um, have had cancer. They've just asked me to pray. Yeah. Okay. You know, and sometimes I check in on the person, sometimes I don't. Yeah. Because that's yeah. not, it feels like that's not what God wants me to do. Yeah. But the person who asked me to pray knows I'm praying. Yeah. We are called to show up, though, and that's one of the things I do love about, I think, our FPC community. They, yeah. We are ones that show up. So thank you for sharing that. Anything else about your journey that stands out that you, you feel like you want to share? I have one more question for you, but. So I feel like I should get some hankies in my hand and we should transfer back to the 1960s in the little old pentecostal church that god's faithful mm. um yeah big things and little things yeah um I, yeah i sometimes look at life and i think you know i mean yes people would say the cancer but i'm all better mm. um but i see him showing up in really little teeny tiny things as i depend on him and um he is a god of big and small mm big and very small little things mm. um and i'm just really grateful that i am a christ follower i you know yeah um, i'm always i always enjoy conversations with people that have had this kind of life faith because you know i mean it just kind of goes to show that you know it's not easy nobody's journey is easier or harder than somebody else's but but when you when you keep god in the center it's just amazing what yeah. happens 
Yeah, I feel like there's lots I could say, but yeah, that's probably just the best thing to, um, yeah, yeah. To say. What is a word or a phrase that describes you or that you live by? <laughs> These days it feels like, again, it's going to be biblical. Sure. Not by power. Uh, yeah, not by. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, again, because that keeps me from looking to the right or to the left, which um, comparison can be a thing. I don't care how old you are. Um, and just understanding, because I am just coming to understand how really and truly, not in my head, but my heart, God has a, had a, has a very specific journey for me. Mm -hmm. um, and the lane I'm in is supposed to be the lane I'm in. Mm. And so just trust God. This is the lane I'm supposed to be in. And um, look for ways to stay on that lane and don't worry about anything else going on. And for me at this point, it's really just, uh, you know, I'm, Having the right mindset is, to me, a very much a Holy Spirit help me work. Mm. It is not something that I take for granted. Mm. Um, and I feel like a number of the things that Jeremy's been talking about from the pulpit have just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, And he might not even, you know, I, yeah, they just remind me of that. And so I've been really um, grateful for just those reminders and that reminder coming at first press about God's grace. I, mm. It's fabulous. Yeah. Well, Anita, thank you for sharing your story. It's it's a fascinating journey for sure. It's some things I, um, you know, I always just always thought you were a teacher since you were oh, like right. seventh grade or something. Right, so, right, yeah. No, I look, so, I look, yeah. look like <laughs> you a teacher. Know, but um, really, really fun to learn your story and you. and just want to say thank you, thank you, and for your love for for all people, but particularly for those sixth graders that every year get blessed by. <laughs> what happens in that classroom. So thank you for spending time with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Dad. Okay. Thanks again for listening. As we like to do with all our FPC conversations, we invite you to reach out to today's guest and get to know them and their story even more. And not only with Anita, but be sure to tell anyone you know who teaches, thank you. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for a future focus of an FPC Conversations podcast, feel free to send us an email to conversations at fpcfresno.org. May this podcast deepen your faith, deepen our love for one another, and ultimately help us become more like Jesus. Until next time.